do you have a culture, do you have a style of leadership that will anticipate and react to those changes? We think, and the research supports, a coaching culture does provide that adaptability, that flexibility. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm J.R. Flatter, and this is our Building a Coaching Culture podcast. I have a special session for you today about learning about coaching, seeing coaching live, and then you're going to coach one another all within this session. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Lucas. How you doing, Lucas? Hello. Haven't seen you in over 30 days. Haven't been on out of the country on vacation, so it's great to see you. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and get started. So usually we do this session live, but we're recording this in an asynchronous format. So if you want to practice on your own, you want to learn on your own or learn in a group, we're making this available to you. And so normally I would ask for a volunteer at this point, but since Lucas is here, he's going to be voluntold to be our leader being coached. And so in a few minutes, he's going to jump in here with a raw and real challenge. I have no idea what it is. We haven't scripted it at all. We want it to be real. So you see actual coaching being done. And then I want to thank Lucas in advance for being vulnerable because that's what we want in a coaching session. So here's our purpose today in three sections, three distinct sections. So first, I want you to learn about coaching. There's a lot of questions out there. What is coaching? How does it differ from mentoring? How does it differ from counseling, perhaps? So we'll talk about that for the first third of our time together. And then, as I talked about a moment ago, we're going to show you real coaching, unscripted, live. So you get a sense of how this works. And then finally, you're going to get an opportunity to coach each other. So as you get ready to consume this asynchronous learning, get a group of you together, or at a minimum, two of you. And so you can coach each other in the third section. So look, it says always jump in here with any questions your millennial insights, whatever comes to mind to make the learning richer for our audience today. They'd kick me out of the PhD club if I didn't get academic at least once a session. So today on this continuum of knowledge, as you consume this asynchronous learning and practice, we're seeking familiarity. So familiarity with the fundamentals of coaching. As you continue your education, if you joined in on some of our additional training, either a boot camp or the life coach training that we do in the afternoons, you'd be uh, familiar on your way to proficiency and eventually on a lifelong path to mastery, which Lucas is well on his way. I'm on that same path, a lifelong path to mastery. So it's at the end, if you still have a lot of questions, that's normal, but you're going to be familiar with the fundamentals of coaching. That's our objective. So what is culture? If we're building a coaching culture, what are we talking about? And the simplest way that I've learned how to describe culture is it's a story. And it's a story that is told by many different parties. We tell the story. So if I tell a story about Two Roads Leadership, or I tell a story about Flatter, 
or I tell a story about my family, I'm describing the culture of 2RL, the culture of Flatter. It's the story that we tell the world. Are we a good place to work? Do we care about our people? Are you respected? Are you well-paid? Is there an opportunity for promotion? All of those things are the story that I tell. But it's a two-way street. And so the world also tells a story about my family, about Flatter, about 2RL. And those stories are based on their perceptions. And so oftentimes there's a difference between the story I tell and the story that the world tells. And if the story that the world's telling is one that I don't desire, then I work to change that story. And we change that story through changing perceptions and oftentimes changing behaviors so that it changes perceptions. So Lucas, what's on your mind when you think about the culture? I know you have a young family. You work in a complex organization. You work inside 2RL, inside Flatter. Yeah. And so I guess I think about it in the ways that like you can kind of as an organization write, you know, policies that help young families and wives and husbands, people with kids. But then like the culture is the actual like practical application of that. Like, okay, we wrote the policy. Now what's actually happening in reality and what's the real experience that people are having with these policies? So it's kind of like where the rubber meets the road with like the planning that you can do behind the scenes. But then it's like, what you're saying here, what are people saying about it? What are people's real world experiences? Yeah, this is one of those where I hear a lot of debate that perception is reality or perception isn't reality. And there's there's two camps and there's a continuum. How much do we believe perception is reality? How much do we fight against it not being reality? But in many ways, it is real because the story the world tells about you, especially if you're an organization and you're trying to attract world-class talent to your organization, you know, that perception that the world has of you is very real. It influences recruiting. It influences retention. So what, what does building a coaching culture deliver to an organization? Well, first and foremost, in my mind, it deepens your leadership bench. So if you're, as part of your leadership, thinking about how well are we treating people, what is the story that the world's telling about us, you focus on that purposefully, and you focus on it from a position of leadership, it really strengthens your bench. And so when we help organizations build coaching cultures, we have two tracks. One, the leadership track to build that leadership depth. And then two, an internal track of coaches that we're accrediting through our programs. Secondly, if you build a coaching culture, you're teaching your leaders to solve their own challenges. So when we talk about the difference between mentoring and coaching, mentoring is me, a boomer, putting my arm around you, a millennial, and saying, you know, in 1980 when I did this, it worked for me. It'll probably work for you in 2023, which is you know just a few weeks away. But how real is that? How much are you going to own that solution? But if I, as the leader, assume a coaching mentality, assume a coaching style of leadership and help you grow that solution on your own, you're going to own it. And a good analogy that we use in our programs is the leader that's being coached is in the driver's seat. And that can be a challenge for leaders, especially in my generation who've been leading you know, 30, 40, 50 years. They're used to being in the driver's seat. They're used to being the problem solver. 
And now as we're building this coaching culture for the 21st century, we're asking them to sit in the passenger seat and facilitate the driver, facilitate that self-discovery. And you have immediate buy-in because you created the solution, not me. A third thing, if you think about delegating before you need to, when we talk about building a house leadership, one of the bold decisions that leaders have to make is delegating when the risk is low. And a coaching culture inherently delegates before you need to. If you try to delegate decision-making, delegate responsibility during a crisis, it's too late. You need to delegate when the risk is low, before the water main breaks, before the fire starts, before the management system crashes. Otherwise, your team's not going to be ready to accept it. So what do you think about when you think about a coaching culture, Lucas? Yeah, I mean, when you think about transferring these coaching skills to a business, it's like, if you think about your business on paper, like I was saying earlier, kind of like, you could have these external factors, like, you know, government regulation, the environment, whatever, what have you, those things are changing constantly. So if you're not constantly reassessing those things, and you're just assuming they're going to be the same all the time, you're not going to be able to make like, the best decisions possible. So coming in with that coaching mindset of, I don't have the answers, like, let's look at this with fresh eyes every time. I think you're going to, you know, react to the outside world a lot better. Yeah. And I think you're, you're hitting on why the coaching culture is so important in the 21st century. When you look at, and, you know, Gen Z's are coming into the workplace now. And when Gen Z's are coming into the workplace, and even millennials in your generation, when you started your career and you look forward 20, 30, 40 years, the technologies are going to be phenomenally different. Processes are going to be different. The workforce is going to be different. But now even for the Gen Zs coming into the workforce now, that's even more accelerated. So the career you have in your 20s is going to be very different than your 30s, your 40s, your 50s. And do you have a culture, do you have a style of leadership that will anticipate and react to those changes? We think and the, the research supports a coaching culture does provide that adaptability, that flexibility. So here's the why. We've talked about this a little bit already. We're in the, we're almost in the 24th year of the 21st century. So time is screaming by. The change is accelerating. So I'm a scholar of leadership. I study leadership as well as teach leadership. The fundamentals of leadership have remained constant throughout time, but how people receive leadership and the expectations they have from their leaders is certainly changing here in the 21st century. So things like the freelance gig economy, the hyper-competitive labor market, those things aren't going away. Hybrid, remote work, teaching like we're teaching right now in a virtual environment, working in a virtual environment, those things aren't going away. They're probably only going to accelerate as we get further and further into the 21st century. And so what are we doing what is my generation doing? What are the millennials doing who are now in the C-suites to prepare for that, to adapt to that? It's a coaching culture that's going to allow you to prepare and adapt to that. One of the things we talk about a lot is how do I become an employer of choice in this hyper-competitive labor market? I mean, the struggle's real. I know it's a bit of a joke when we say that, but it is. Everywhere I go, we just got back from a world trip for the last month through several different countries and several different environments. Everybody's struggling. The world is struggling to find world-class talent. As I sit in the C-suite, 
and some of our listeners said in the C-suite and tried to decide how am I going to attract and retain world-class talent? How can I drive down my recruiting costs? How can I drive up retention? We strongly, strongly believe it's in building and sustaining a coaching culture. What do you think? You re- you recruit Gen Zs. What are you seeing? So, yeah, I mean, obviously, like with technology, you know, that field, it's if you open it up to like, you know, candidates from across the country, it's a lot more flexible because especially, you know, if you're in an area that doesn't necessarily have like big tech universities and a big pipeline of, you know, people graduating. So like the virtual environment, you know, helps a lot in that just opening up your search to more people. But then that second bullet, um, the leadership fundamentals are the same, but it's like, if the leadership fundamentals are the same, but the way that people prefer to communicate is differently different. It's like, okay, we need to bridge that gap and, you know, always adapt our communication style to the recipient. Yeah, that's a great example. I remember a conversation you and I had, you probably don't remember this, but many years ago, I was scratching my head as to why you preferred texting over telephones. And so my generation is a telephone generation. Your generation is a texting or other. And you had this comment that it allowed you the flexibility to respond when you had the time, whereas a telephone call was synchronous and demanded you to respond, either not or do. And you know that's one tiny example that I'm sure in, in a world full of differences in how we choose or prefer to communicate. I think for a Gen Z, a telephone call is like a form of assault. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to remember that. All right, so how do we change a culture? Most cultures here, as we enter into the 24th year of the 21st century, are 20th century cultures. Centralized command and control, top-down, in-person, telephone. So the best way to change a culture is to communicate and demonstrate the things that you want, the story that you want told. So what is the story you want told about your organization and and how are you communicating that? And I don't want to split academic hairs here, difference between core values or principles or ethics and mission, vision, and your why. You know, those are things that are different for every organization. And depending on your academic paradigm, how you might define each one of them, I don't think we need to get into that academic hair splitting when we think about what is the story that we want the world to tell about, about us? And then how are we communicating? What is the story we're telling the world? What are the principles of our organization? What are our personal principles? What are our ethics of an organization or morals of the individual? And are we sufficiently communicating that? John Cotter in Leading Change is an amazing eight-step change model of which one of the steps is to communicate. And he talks about communicating until the point you're getting tired of hearing yourself say it, and then you're probably getting close enough. I forget the name of the, the CEO of Ford, probably a couple of generations ago. He came off the podium at a conference, and someone came up and shook his hand and said, man, what a great story. It was really compelling. The CEO said, yeah, I've told that story 5,000 times. That's getting communication. Equally important, and maybe in m- many ways, more important than how are you demonstrating what you're communicating. So if you demonstrate it, you mentioned a moment ago, family and writing policy that supports family. 
okay, you can write that policy. You could talk about it in speeches, but then are you actually demonstrating it in your own life? You know, I brag about taking 30 day vacations to be in a good example. I want people in my team to take vacations. I want them to see me taking vacations and that we're talking the talk and walking the walk. We talk about that a lot with like, I've heard in the video game industry where it's like people will crunch on projects really hard. And so there's a culture of, oh, people are going to, you know, grind you and, you know, people are going to quit at the end of this project. And a lot of that isn't policy. It's the manager staying two days without going home. And then, you know, his employees feel like they have the pressure to do that. And and so the organization can say, you know, that's not part of our policy, but it is part of the culture at a certain point, you know? Yeah. One of our core values is we grow our leadership within, right? We talk about that all the time. It's in the employee handbook. But if the team doesn't see that happening, then it's not real. And the story the team tells, the world that you're trying to attract, yeah, they say they're going to build their leaders from within, but it never happens. That's just one tiny example of what we're talking about here. Communicate and demonstrate. And again, I don't want to split academic hairs too much, but I think it's really important to talk about when you're communicating and demonstrating, what are you communicating and what are you demonstrating? You're communicating the perception that you want the world to have of you. So if I want the world to perceive I'm a good place to work, I treat my people well, we support their families, we encourage personal and professional achievement. If that's the story I'm telling the world, I'm trying to create a perception in the world that that's who we are and we mean it. If that's the story that's not coming back, then what can I do to change those perceptions? I need to change my behavior. So if the world perceives that we don't support families, then I need to change the behavior that they're seeing that leads to that. And so it's a very sort of a chicken and egg. Do I change perception or do I change behavior? Do I change behavior or do I change perception? It's very interrelated. and It's a two-way street. Communication going out, communication coming back. Perception changes the way you behave in the world, and perception changes the way the world behaves towards you. So if I perceive that I'm not a morning person, I'm going to sleep in. I'm not going to have meetings in the mornings. And if the world perceives that I'm not a morning person, they're going to stay away from me in the mornings. If I need that interaction, I need that time on my calendar, First, I need to change my own perception of myself, like getting up in the morning isn't such a bad thing. It's actually a very powerful thing. And then I'll slowly, through the changed behavior and through additional communication, change the world's perception of me. I guess it kind of comes down as well to like, what are you going to replace this with? Like, okay, if you're now wanting to wake up two hours early, do you have to go to bed a little earlier? So it's like, we talk about opportunity cost a lot. It's like, what behavior are you going to replace this with if you're changing to a new behavior? You know, so that's what it kind of brings to mind for me. Yeah, great, great thought. There are ways to ask powerful coaching questions, and we'll talk about those for the next few minutes. Before we did that, I wanted to point out, and we talked about this a little bit, but I wanted to just take a minute to point out when we talk about a coaching culture, it inherently talks about a coaching style of leadership. So there's really two tracks that you're on if you're heading down the path to become a coach or to build a coaching culture or to create a coaching style of leadership. So one of that is formal coaching. 
So Lucas and I are both accredited coaches, and we engage in formal coaching relationships. There's usually a coaching agreement written in the beginning about what is it we intend to do together. We talk about how many sessions over what length of time. We don't really focus on the length of sessions because each session sort of has a life of its own. You're probably going to block a specific block on your calendar, but I really caution against thinking about coaching in hours or even halves of hours, but rather in sessions because there's an arc of each session and there's an arc of the relationship. So that's a formal coaching relationship. For many of us, and especially as we work with leaders inside complex organizations on this path to a coaching culture, we work on creating a coaching style of leadership where you use powerful coaching questions, you use coaching techniques to lead with a coaching style, purposefully not being in the driver's seat, purposefully allowing the leader that you're working with to be in the driver's seat, not assuming that what worked for me in 1980, 1990, 2000 is going to work for you today. You're a different generation. It's a different time. Technology is vastly different. Your expectations of organizations are vastly different. And I'm taking every opportunity I have to interact with you to grow your leadership. That's really what we mean by a coaching style of leadership. In our uh, past interviews, we asked people about this a lot, like, what do you see as benefits of this? And lots of times it's, you know, coming up with innovative solutions to a problem, like instead of the boss saying, this is how we solve the problem, you know, coming to the team and seeing if there's a better way, you know, what considerations we weren't, you know, thinking about before. So just kind of opening up and empowering people below you, you know, allows you to go, you know, take that vacation. No, I love that. Uh, you know, you're reminding me of when you're in the CEO chair or even if the president of your homeowners association, whatever leadership role you might be in, and everybody looks at you about what's your opinion. Well, the second you share your opinion, the conversation stops because that's what the boss said. In this coaching style of leadership, the boss keeps their mouth shut. The boss lets the leader that they're working with and growing their leadership, they talk because yeah, then they get to the solution on their own. They learn, they grow, and we just try to be quiet, facilitate that self-discovery. So what is a coaching question? I used to say perfect because uh, and I stopped doing that because perfect gets in the w way of being great. So I, I now say powerful coaching question. So a lot of things we already talked about before, but we just want to take some time to focus on some of the fundamentals of what is a powerful question, a coaching question. So helping the leader to self-discover. So when I'm thinking about what's the next powerful question, part of what I'm thinking about before I ask is, is this a question that the leader already knows the answer to? And if it is, if the answer is yes, it's probably not a self-discovering question. So for example, I would never ask you, how old are you? I would never ask you, where do you live? How many kids do you have? How old are they? What do you do for a living? Those are not coaching questions. A more powerful coaching question would be, what is it about the age of your children that's influencing the outcome of this challenge? What is it about your chosen profession that's limiting your growth? Always asking myself before I ask you, what are you going to discover from this question? What are you going to know that you didn't know? 
In social science, we call that active inquiry, careful question selection without judgment or without bias. We talk a lot about in our programs, building a house of leadership. The leader you're working with, you're helping them build their house of leadership. You're not judging their principles. You're not judging their work family self-balance. You're not judging their vision because it's their house and you're there to facilitate the growth of their house. A powerful question is an open-ended question. The analogy that we use is a box canyon. Did I ask a question that's going to get me boxed in? Building upon the leader's response. So part of what I do when I'm thinking about what is the next powerful question I can and perhaps should ask, is it following the leader? There's a telltale sign that you're not actually doing this if you're rapid firing questions. If I'm observing you in a coaching session and I see you ask a question immediately after the leader you're coaching stops talking, I know you're not pivoting with them. You've preloaded questions into your mind. And by goodness, you're going to ask these three questions no matter what happens. That's not pivoting. I ask permission. And so we use an, an analogy in coaching as well about being in a room. You and the leader are the only two people in that room. The topics that are brought in are brought in by the leader. And if you bring anything, you suggest bringing in anything, you better ask permission. Because the moment you don't, you've grabbed the wheel. You're pushing on the accelerator. You're deciding where, when, how. That's not a coaching question. And finally, don't apologize. The question shouldn't be apologetic. I'm not sure if this is relevant. This is probably a dumb question. No, don't apologize. Ask bold, powerful questions. So look, as you're coaching, what are some thoughts that go through your mind about what is the next powerful coaching question? So what it's not is like, you know, a series of questions that you're trying to like manipulate or guide the person into a certain, you know, because that's a kind of tendency. It's like, oh, I have a piece of advice. It's like, oh, how old are your kids? And then, well, you have a three-year-old, do you, you know, it's like, are you going to continue down the path you want to continue on or like ask a question, go on to a topic. Is that the direction we're going in? Or are we shifting directions? It's kind of, it can make you as a coach feel kind of, powerless or you know fumbling or you know but then you ask the person at the end of it like you know your perception might be that i was you know kind of fumbling around but the person you're coaching might say you know that was amazing like you gave me so much to think about <laughs> so yeah it happens all the time right hey thanks for that well that actually you brought that up when we talk about pivoting with the leader Part of the challenge is you're, as a human being, as a leader yourself, this beautiful question pops into your mind or this beautiful solution pops into your mind. And you just have to fight throwing it into the room when you know it's not appropriate. And as you practice more and more as, as a coach, it gets easier and easier, but it, it still happens. This beautiful question comes into your mind and then the leader pivots and you have to throw that beautiful question away. It's just part of the learning process. Or like even... Um... It's like at the water cooler, you're going to tell someone, oh, I just went to my sister's wedding. I just ran a marathon. I just, you know, but then you get into a coaching session. You're like, don't mention the marriage. Don't mention the marathon. Like, it's like, you're just going to derail everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this next slide, uh, we have some representative questions that we borrow from Michael Begay Stanier in his 2000 book, The Coaching Habit. I strongly recommend you read it if you haven't. It's a really quick read. It's 100 or so pages. Very well written. Uh, and he gives us these coaching questions. And he puts the labels on them. 
almost every session, whether it's informal or formal, is going to start with some kind of open-ended, the table's blank, the chalkboard's empty, what's on your mind? And as you develop your own coaching style, you're going to start however you think it's appropriate. The requirements here, the absolute essentials here, the table's blank, the room's empty, the chalkboard's empty, and you let the leader bring whatever they bring. Even if you met with them a week earlier, a day earlier, and they said, I'm going to do these three things before we get back together, or I'm going to solve this challenge. You do not preface the opening of the session with any of that. A mistake I see people make a lot is, so last time we talked about these three things, do you want to talk about them again? That's not an open-ended opening. You've painted the chalkboard already. You've put potential topics on the table already. Leave it completely blank. So that's what Michael means by the kickstart. The awe and what else? This goes back to human nature. Rarely do we as humans bring the real challenge into the room. Or if we do, we've sort of shaded it or sculpted it. At the end, what else is a genuine curiosity? So what else might be going on here? What else is going on in your world? And all of these are a judgment call on you, the coach. Is And I've seen uh, drills where the drill was entirely, you just continue to ask, and what else? And what else? And it works. It seems formulistic. A lot of this might seem formulistic, especially as you're starting out, but it works. And we do drills where we just go down these questions in a session. And even after the end, what else, what's on your mind, they might be a bit scattered. They might give you three, four, five, six, seven. And then we ask, so what's the real challenge for you here? We don't say which of those five is the real challenge because that limits the responses. We always want to leave the door completely open, unstructured to bring whatever they want. Foundation question. So I've heard your challenges. You've told me what the real challenge is here for you. So what do you want the outcome to look like? When we're done, when you've solved this, what does that look like? The lazy question, I'm not sure why Michael calls it the lazy question. He explains it in the book, but I've forgotten the nuance. So you know I'm a coach. You know I'm coaching you as a leader. What can I do to help? You know my role in our organization. What can I do to help? Lucas asked this one a little bit earlier. We call it the opportunity cost question. Michael calls it the strategy question. What do you have to stop doing to say yes to this solution? And on the flip side, what do you need to start doing to make this happen? I love, I love, I love the, the learning question. Always, 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 whether it's an hour-long session or a five-minute session, ask the leader you're coaching, what was the most valuable for you in our time together today? There's any number of ways you can ask this. What do you know now that you didn't know 30 minutes ago? What did you discover? What did you discover about yourself? What did you discover about the challenge? And then finally, as a coach, we're an accountability partner. And so it may be or may not be appropriate in, this, in the session to say, what can you commit to? Always driving to specificity. We don't want platitudes in this statement. So you use these in your coaching sessions or I'm sure something very similar. What resonates with you when you see this list? Yeah, like what's the real challenge? A lot of the times um, you'll find people kind of venting or, you know, just going over what happened in the day. And so you're, you can kind of go down a rabbit hole where like we're just talking about like little nitpicky things that, you know, just happen throughout the day. But let's pause and say like, oh, is this really what we want to spend this? You know, not so explicitly, but, you know, 
trying to gauge like, you know, what is the really important issue here and without kind of presenting the topics to the person. And then also um, on what can you commit to? I like that because it's like action based, you know, like what are the active steps you're going to take? And then I would pair that sometimes with something like, what are you going to be thinking about? Like, what are we going to discover in the next week before we meet next? So like examine your feelings on this particular subject better so that we can talk about it. Yeah. And I always, if I'm going to jump into the accountability partner role, I always drive to specificity. A lot of times we get platitudes when we first ask, what can you commit to? Well, I'm going to journal. Okay. How many days and how much time? I'm going to exercise more. Okay. What are you going to do? What days are you going to do it? How many times can you commit to going to the gym before we meet again? Always driving to some kind of specificity. I love this, the miracle question. You see this a little bit in in one of Michael's questions. uh, What do you want? That's kind of asking if you woke up tomorrow and a miracle occurred and this solution was solved, this challenge was solved, what does that look like? I borrow this from the field of psychiatry. I actually learned it from a psychiatrist that I'm coaching. They use it in their practice. There's a couple things that it does. First and foremost, it removes all obstacles to success. And so the leader that you're working with might give you three, four, five, ten things between them and a solution. And so the miracle question gets rid of those. And it allows them, perhaps for the first time ever, to see the solution, to envision wow, this is finally behind me. And the growth that can come from that is pretty amazing. And then once they've envisioned that outcome, you can begin introducing, reintroducing obstacles one at a time. Okay, so let's just put that first obstacle. Time, space, logistics, money, priorities, budgets, whatever the case might be. Do you use the miracle question or something like it in your coaching? Yeah, totally. And it's like you said, it's kind of about changing the context of something like okay you're in this very specific scenario and like let's let's either zoom out or like you know imagine if you're in a different context and i saw somebody the other day like criticizing analogies like you ignore all these constraints and like it just sounds good but it doesn't actually help but then i'm thinking like you know an analogy is completely free like we're not spending any money or time like we're just changing our context for a couple minutes and then you know (laughs) yeah all right really quickly questions to avoid we talked about box canyons already what's the history of this challenge you know i hear many variations of this what have you done in the past to solve the solution What similar challenges have you faced in the past? You need to be really careful with those kind of backward-looking questions because coaching, we want to look forward and grow. So there's other ways other than looking back at the history of the challenge because in many ways, you're asking questions they already know the answer to. And so there's no self-discovery. I'm big on not asking why questions. Why just appears judgmental? Why did you do that? It's hard to ask that without sounding like a scold, but there's other ways you can quickly turn them into a what question rather than a why question and leave the leader in the driver's seat. So what was your decision process that led to that outcome? Again, without that hint of sarcasm or that hint of judgment in your voice, what are some landmines that you avoid in your questions? I guess um, we come in with like hypotheses like, oh, I think that this is the problem. So I'm going to ask a couple questions that get there. So, so, but like, I guess I try to avoid 
making that explicit, like making it more generalized, like instead of saying like, oh, what do you think about this? Like questions that relate to specific topics or areas that I want to go in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, the idea of a hypothesis, because that's a formal way of saying this idea popped into my mind about what might be the next best question. And you really need to ask yourself, is it a coaching question or am I hiding advice in a question? Am I hiding judgment in a question? Am I leading them to a place I want them to go? Yeah, you need to be careful with those hypotheses. So after you've asked yourself, is this a powerful coaching question? Will they discover, am I not leading? Then you throw it into the room and you say, hey, I got this idea that I think might be of value. It's not advice, but it's genuinely a coaching question. Yeah, I think sometimes it helps to communicate, oh, this is what I was thinking was the problem. Because then the person might say, oh, this is the way I'm, I communicated it that way, but I didn't mean to, you know. Yeah. So we're almost ready to do some practice coaching. So uh, a couple more slides and we'll jump right in. The pregnant pause, you're creating anticipation with the pause. That's what we mean by the pregnant pause. So you've asked a powerful coaching question, and then you sit and you actually listen to the response, not formulating what your next beautiful question is going to be, not formulating a solution in your own mind of how you did this in 1980, but actually listening, watching, watching body language, listening for whispers and ghosts that are brought into the room. Then and only then, after you've genuinely listened and thought, I say count to 12 Mississippi in your mind, might be a little more than you need, but it's at least three Mississippi. You might paraphrase back to them. So this is what I think I heard. Did I hear that correctly? So I always ask him for permission. And then and only then would you ask another relevant pivoting question that follows the response that you actually listen to. Silence is your friend in coaching. Silence allows the leader to continue thinking the leader to continue discovering, and it allows you to ask powerful questions, to ask relevant questions, non-leading questions. So silence is your friend, and we want you to bask in that silence. We want you to learn how to be comfortable in that silence. How do you use the pause in your coaching? Sometimes you ask a question, and, and there is a pause, and the person you know, they just need a minute or they need a couple seconds or, you know, so to just like immediately follow up, like with clarification or with a different question or something, you can kind of like get rid of that momentum that you have. So I guess I just use the pause to just make sure like, and I tend to kind of overlap with people if I'm not really careful. So I just use it for that. Yeah, I do that a lot. One of my idiosyncrasies. All right. So that's the end of our first session. What we'd like you to do now is take a few minutes in a group or one-on-one, -on -one, whatever you choose to do, and go over these powerful questions that we talked about. Think about what we've done in this first learning session, and then come back about 15 to 20 minutes, and we'll continue. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is section two of our three sessions together in this asynchronous learning. And now Lucas and I are going to do some coaching. And so uh, Lucas, a few minutes ago, asked you to 
give me a raw and real challenge. Do you want to start or I'll start? No, I'll start. So, uh, Lucas, this is uh, just to set the stage for our viewers and listeners, a formal coaching session in the arc of a relationship that you and I have. Uh, we worked together for many years. Obviously, we've known each other for your entire life. But when I put my coaching hat on, I'm coaching you. I stop being CEO. I stop being chairman. Stop being dad. And I'm a coach. And so I'm uh, applying the fundamentals of coaching. So for our listeners, I want you to take notes as you watch and listen to this coaching session to observe what you're hearing, write it down, and then we'll come back together and we'll do a debrief. So Lucas, uh, we got about 20 minutes today together in a coaching session. What's on your mind today? Um, so I don't know if there's like an acute problem or anything, but I've been thinking a lot about um, like my approach to parenting and and how how to kind of get my son he's a three-year-old Declan to get him to kind of do what I want him to do but also you know maintain our relationship you know and I feel like there's a balance and sometimes I feel like I'm on one side and the other and vacillating back and forth yeah so with my coaching hat on, you know, I'm a dad of four and a granddad of 10. So, uh, I'm going to do my best to be a coach and not a grandfather or a father. Um, tell me more if you don't mind. Um, so I guess on one side, um, like lately I've noticed that like, he really responds well to like, like, you know, just staying on top of him. Hey, like, like what about the next piece of the puzzle? You need to do, you keep going. Don't lose focus, Declan, or else he'll like go, you know, go do something else. Or, you know, we need him to get ready for bed and it's like, okay, Declan, it's time to get ready. But if I don't stay on top of him, like, you know, come on, let's go to the bathroom. Come on. Here's the toothbrush. Come on. Here's the water. Um, so that works and it's been it's been working well but then i feel like you know i'm like this like militaristic like nagging person you know <laughs> so what resources do you have available to you to help work through this discovery i mean yeah there's parents all around me like my family my sisters are here um my uh, mother-in-law's living with us right now, so she's here to help, and Lena, my wife, is here to help as well. And what are they telling you? Mm, well, they say, like, oh, the, I've heard positive things, like, oh, look, he, he follows you around, like, he listens to you, <laughs> like, and that's, it. so, like, I, I guess the problem isn't that, like, he's not well-behaved, it's just, like, I guess I just want to have like a better mindset about it, I guess. Mm. Yeah. So in coaching, we have a phrase for someone that you've brought into the room, but it's not you. And so you brought Declan into the room and I don't want to coach Declan because I'm coaching you. So if you don't mind, you just give me a whisper there about you 
Uh, and and it, it's your challenge. It's not Declan's challenge. So what is the real challenge for you here? I guess um, I'm trying to imagine or like worried about or I'm not exactly sure about like how might Declan perceive me or like how does he imagine me like personality wise or like who am I like and I'm worried that like if I'm like so focused on like you know controlling you know making sure he's behaving and things like that 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 I'm showing like a different part of myself. And how does it make you feel to say that out loud? Mm, I guess part of me is like saying it out loud. I'm thinking like, okay, but like I I am also sure that like, you know, I know that like he, he loves us and everything. And, you know, so I, I guess saying it out loud, I almost find it to be like less like, oh, maybe it's not a big deal, you know? Mm-hmm. So tell me a story about a, a, an example of when you thought you got it wrong. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, that, that's a good point. Because right now things are going pretty well. But there were some points, like, I guess three or four weeks ago. Like, he has these phases, you know, where, like, it's like, oh, it's really challenging. And then, like, phases where it's really easy. And so, like, yeah, three or four weeks ago, um, he was just saying no, no, no to everything. And I couldn't motivate him. I couldn't, you know, do what I was saying. Like, oh, come on, let's do this. Let's have fun. and Let's, you know, make it a competition. Or, you know, um, it was just no, no, no. So Lena was, you know, doing her own thing. And I, it was just me and him. And I, I was like, well the only way I can think to like, you know, I just have to intimidate him. <laughs> so like, I'm like getting in his face, you know, like, come on. Like, like I like get right in his face and I can tell he's getting like scared and, you know, he's scared and frustrated. And it's like, at that point, I know that like, it's, it's, it's either going to work just by brute force, but it's, it's not necessarily going to like teach him any lesson or anything. So I guess that's when I get it wrong, I know that like, it's like this isn't helping anyone. This is just making everyone upset. You know? <laughs> so, what do you think you could do the next time you approach that point to not exhibit that behavior? I guess. Um... I mean, I think mentality-wise, it's just like thinking about like how, you know, going to bed isn't more important than like, you know, Declan's feelings right now. So I guess um, I would, yeah, try to remember like, you know, uh, uh, yeah, that's what I just thought of where like you have this thought like, oh, if he doesn't go to bed, like he's never going to listen to me or he's not going to do it next time or he's not going to. So I guess try to stop those kinds of like slippery slope like mm-hmm. worst case scenario things like like oh he's gonna be a person out in the world like so he has to listen but it's like <laughs> okay let's <laughs> have some flexibility
on a scale of one to ten, if you don't mind, how big of a challenge is this for you, not Declan, for you? I mean, I guess it's like a six, probably, you know, like not drastic, but, but, you know, not something that I know how to do, you know, it's something that I'm figuring out. So you talked about sisters, family. What other exemplars are in your world that you might look to to? to help you with this. Like now I'm trying to think of like people that are like, you know, really patient and, you know, (laughs) um, understanding. I don't know, but, um, I guess I would say that there's a little bit of, um, a resistance to going to others with parenting because I feel like it's such a personal thing that like, you know, like, and that's kind of a mentality I have about my own problems. A lot of the time that it's like, Oh, like, you know, let me solve this. Like, because it's going to be, I don't know why I have that mentality, but like, it's going to be more valuable for me to come up with this on my own or, you know, I know the situation better than other people do or you know, yeah, my advice wants you is screaming at about a thousand <laughs> decibels right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, you told me it's a six. That's a pretty big deal. If you said if you would have said it's a one, it would be like, well, okay, not sure what we would have done with that. But if it's a six, I don't know. It's maybe I was. I don't know. Like I would say the six is more about like. <clears throat> how much i think like it's important but it, in terms of how much like it's frustrating me day to day it's like like three weeks ago when when it, it was like four days of this then i would have said like you know then it was really challenging but it's kind of like sometimes it's more challenging than others kind of thing Hmm. So what's the number that you're comfortable with? Mm, Like a four, like three, and probably half, yeah, like three. Cut it in half. Mm -hmm. I think it was Einstein said the... uh, Definition of insanity is continuing to do things the same and expecting it to change. What needs to change? So I guess, um, like, it'd be helpful if, if we're have like, if, if I'm able to kind of, 
calm myself down and and you know not escalate situations you know because yeah it's like i feel like i i'll get worked up before and then he, or he'll get worked up i get worked up then he gets mm-hmm. worked. it's like this cycle you know so uh as your accountability partner i want to drive you to some specifics if you don't mind can you give me specifics about how so we talked about triggers earlier you know that's a a term of the day really the things that make you rise to a six when you want to be at a three i think you're beginning to recognize those if i hear you right so when they present themselves what could you do in that moment to de-escalate using your word? Um, I mean, I guess, and this is something that's kind of, you know, revealing itself in this conversation, but there's things that I do, you know, that I ask Declan to do that I'm not doing myself. Like, you know, <laughs> take a deep breath. Oh, yeah. Count to yeah. 10, you know. <laughs> and so... It's like, it's like one, I'm not asking him to do those things when I'm upset. And yeah. two, it's like, I didn't use them to keep myself from getting to, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I think like, yeah, like taking a moment and like having him see me, you know, take, take that. I mm. think that would be helpful. Mm. So communicate um, and demonstrate. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so as I hear you talking, there's a tool that we use in the coaching world called mindfulness it's kind of what i hear you describing yeah like i think my personality like i'm very you know i like to analyze things analyze movies and stuff and but it's always after the fact but like in the moment yeah that's where i really struggle okay so as we're winding down i'm keeping an eye on the clock here i would be respectful of your time um What do you know now that you didn't know 15 minutes ago? Just that, like, especially with parenting, it's like part of part of the child's issue is that, you know, it's like sometimes they're going to cry and scream and be frustrated because, you know, they're just children. So I guess... I'm starting to kind of realize and try to focus more on like, um, okay, like, yeah, like the coaching thing, like what can I control? Like what are, what are things that I can do to make this better? And because then it's like, it kind of takes the onus off like, oh, it's just a three-year-old. It's just a two-year-old. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's on me to like behave how I want to behave. Great. Well, thanks for your time today. And uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Welcome back, everybody. I wanted to take a few minutes to debrief on what you just saw. This template that I'm showing on the screen, can you see that okay, Lucas? This is what we call the approach template. And as you learn more about coaching, uh, you'll learn these tools, you'll learn these methods, you'll learn more of the powerful questions, the core competencies of coaching I just wanted to talk a few minutes, Lucas, from your perspective, and then I'll jump in with my perspective. I mentioned one, so we talk a lot in our debriefs about emotions, surprises, insights, 
So I know from my own side, I'm thinking of a million different things, but from a dad and a granddad perspective, right? And I'm telling myself again and again and again, don't lead, stay in the coaching world. Let Lucas solve this challenge. What was going on in your mind as we were going through that practice session? I don't know, just trying to um, articulate something that's kind of vague. It's like, okay, I want this to be easier, but like trying to identify the problem like that you can solve to make it easier. Yeah, that's that's where I kind of discovered some things. And so that was helpful. Great. Well, let's move into the next session. What we want to do now is we want everybody to break down into groups of two, one-on-one, and we want you to practice in groups of one-on-one. So take 30 minutes, groups of two, 15 minutes and 15 minutes, playing either the role of the coach or the role of the leader being coached. Strongly, strongly recommend you bring real-world challenges into the practice, and we'll see you all in 30 minutes. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I hope you had great practice sessions. Now we want you to do the same thing that we did in earlier in the asynchronous learning. We want you to compare notes. What did you see in the session? What were some emotions that were going through your mind and your body? What are some things that surprised you? What do you know now that you didn't know before the practice session? So we'll see you back here in 10 to 15 minutes. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for being here with Lucas and I today in this asynchronous learning about what is coaching, what isn't it. You got to see coaching, and then you got to practice coaching in the real world with raw and real challenges. So don't forget, you're now in our network. You're part of the 2RL family. So don't be a stranger, and we'll see you soon. Thanks. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.